Hello and welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin episode 19. Today is May 11th, 2014. My name is Sebastian Couture. I'm a, a user experience designer and developer based in Lille, France. I'm also the founder of Bitcoin Talks Lille. And I'm uh, Brian Fabian Crane. I'm a Berlin based Bitcoin entrepreneur and the founder of the Bitcoin Startup Spelling Group. And uh, we have a guest with us today, uh, which is David Ashkar. It's kind of a, a fortunate encounter because uh, I'm here at the in Amsterdam and we were both at the Quantified Self Conference and I was kind of, of course, ran into uh, another Bitcoin person there and it, we talked a lot. So I asked, we asked, him, I asked him to come on. So I'm excited to have him here. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, it's just funny how how you get a lot of these random encounters these days. There's, uh, there's a lot of people getting into the Bitcoin space, which I'm happy about. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, and of course, we'll also be at the Bitcoin conference next week here in Amsterdam, and maybe you're going to come too as well. Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be there. I'll be uh, hopefully representing the, the Middle East. <laughs> so maybe we can start off our uh, conversation today, because I think there's a, you know, when we have a guest on, it's always interesting to talk about things they know a lot about. and. Middle East is definitely an area that I, not, I don't know anything about. Bitcoin in the Middle East, Sebastian, I think you're not an expert on that. No, it's so, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's dive a bit into that. Maybe can you tell us a bit about how adoption is there or what's going on? Yeah, 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 definitely. So, so first off, um, I, I grew up in, in Lebanon. I left when I was uh, 17 uh, to, to, to study and work in, in North America. I was in Montreal, Toronto and, and, and San Francisco. Um, and that's, that's where I started getting into the, the Bitcoin space. And now uh, a couple months ago, I returned back to the region to actually focus on Bitcoin in the Middle East and try to get s- stuff started over there. Um, so I myself uh, started the the, um, uh, the Bitcoin Lebanon um, group, which is a, a meetup, and then we have, uh, of course, other online resources. But I'm also working with people in, in Jordan, in Dubai, and in other countries of, of, of the Middle East. Um, so f- to, to, to be completely transparent, I think... Bitcoin in the Middle East is still at the very, very early stages. Um, like a lot of um, developing countries right now, it's still a very new technology that you hear a lot about outside, but not so much inside. And we're we're working hard to to, to change that. So, for example, the first. Bitcoin Lebanon meetup that we had had a good turnout of 60 people and we had a very engaged discussion. Same thing happened in Jordan with even more people. It hit above 100. Um, and then we recently had a, a pretty big conference in, in, in Dubai uh, over two days uh, that targeted both the financial crowd and then the, the, the community. It was Coin Talks uh, organized by the online project. So I'm curious, how how do do a lot of people, a lot of the people who came to the meetup, do they own Bitcoin? How did they buy Bitcoins? Is is there are there exchanges? Is is there local Bitcoin active local Bitcoin traders? Yeah, no, no. The short answer is is no. It's still very early, very early stage. So there are no there are no big exchanges. Uh, there are no exchanges. Period. Yet, uh, but there are a couple of people working on that. 
Um, and in terms of local Bitcoin's activity, it's also just a handful. I mean, I know in Lebanon, it's probably around five. Jordan has maybe double that. The UAE has uh, triple that. But it's still, you know, it's still it's still a, a small community. So, for example, when asking people at the events, at all of these events, who actually own Bitcoins, I'd say you're talking about 10 20, 10% of, of attendees, 15% of attendees own Bitcoins? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just, uh, I wanted to interject something that kind of relates to that. And, you know, in Berlin, Berlin is considered by many to be sort of one of the leading Bitcoin communities in the world. And, you know, it was, it's probably the place where you have the most uh, real world businesses where you can pay with Bitcoin. But that being said, I was giving a talk at a startup conference, uh, on Tuesday, which is all young people, well educated, you know, developers, entrepreneurs, etc., about Bitcoin. And I asked too in the audience, how many people here own Bitcoins? And it was, it was not a, you know, it was 30 ish, 40 people. And two of Bitcoin wow. in uh, in a startup place, you know, yeah. I, I was yeah, yeah. quite, you know, it's shocking. Even even in a place like this, so yeah, so it's very surprising to hear that. Um, I guess another thing that's worthwhile mentioning is that um, officially, that I know of, there are only two uh, um, spaces that accept Bitcoin for payment: uh, one in Dubai, a pizza restaurant, um, and a coffee shop in in Jordan. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to ask. Um, so th these events th that you that you've been organizing. So uh, how many meetups have you had so far? So we've had two in Lebanon, three, I believe, in Jordan. Uh, a lot of smaller ones in Dubai, but this larger, this two-day larger event in, in in Dubai as well. So so a, a decent amount for for a starting community. And where do they take place? What's your venue? Um, mostly, mostly tech uh, and startup spaces. Okay, and like so, uh, so uh, incubators, accelerators. So when uh, what's the what what, are, what do these look like? I mean, is it talks? Is it just people coming around to meet and talk about Bitcoin? Do you have uh, uh, people from the community come and give talks about certain t specific topics, or is it more, or is it mostly educational? Because um, you know, Brian and I have been having this discussion also about our meetups. Is like where our meetups are going. Where when you when you first start a meetup you have this tendency to want to do like educational kind of stuff and talk about you know have talks about you know what is bitcoin how it works and stuff and as you go on you realize that you know people that that are in the community uh are not going to be interested in that they'll be interested in more in-depth topics but you still kind of need that educational um content for newcomers um so how how did, you, how did your meetup position itself in a kind of like educational or mostly more more for um the community yeah so that's a great point um i can i can tell you about 
what we're doing, what we're trying to do and how we're addressing these questions. I'll tell you first what we've already done. Um, so far, it's been a, a, a mix of a, a lot of this stuff. Because we are at the very early stages, we're testing the waters with different approaches. So we've had, you know, Bitcoin 101 sessions where you have three speakers talk about what what is Bitcoin, why Bitcoin and how it works and so on. Uh, we've had more of the um, communal type of events where you just bring people around a, a, a table and, and you just have a, a casual conversations. We've had panel type of discussions as well. So we've tried to, we, we're trying as much as we can to see what clicks with the, with the community in the region. Um, so to talk to Doc a bit more, more broadly, there's, um, a, a lot of us in the different countries are, are trying to collaborate as much as possible to, um, you know, kickstart the Bitcoin economy in the Middle East to educate. Um, and so the, the different meetups are working together, the, the, the organizers and one of the, one of the resources we're, we're, we're releasing soon is a website called shoebitcoin.com. Shoe is, is Arabic for what is, uh, what is Bitcoin? Um, and so that's that's really to start creating content in the the language and and the perspective of the Middle East. Uh, so it's obviously going to be in, in Arabic, French, and English, and it's going to bring up use cases that are more relevant to the Middle East rather than than uh, the more more developed regions. Um. So I'm curious about something, you know, because you lived in San Francisco and, you know, you had a, you know, good job in the US, etc., or in, in Canada. And then, you know, you started on a, in a Bitcoin startup in, in yeah. San Francisco, which seems to me, if you work on Bitcoin startups, probably the best place in the world. Like, why on earth did you uh, <laughs> go to the Middle East? Yeah, I ask myself that sometimes. <laughs> um, it's it, it's obviously you know it wasn't um, it's it's tough to 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 go back to, to that region when you're exposed to the the level of of innovation and 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 ambition in 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 North America and to go back to the Middle East and it, there isn't that much uh, um, in comparison, obviously, that much um, excitement, but but. That itself, I think, is an opportunity to start shaking things up. Um, the, the Middle East has seen a lot of the, the, the effects of the brain drain. And so we need, we need more people that are at the cutting edge to come back to the region. So, um, as, as I was, um, building my startup back in, in, um, in the Bay Area, through, through a, a series of, of events, it just we just ended up stumbling on on this opportunity in the in the Middle East, and we decided we can couldn't pass this up, so we just made the leap. So I guess, I guess that's kind of a good segue into uh, talking a bit about your maybe your startup, and then why you think that fits well in the Middle East, and there's an is an opportunity there. Yeah, yeah. So so our company Yellow. Um, is tackling the the payment space in the Middle East. Uh, and let me talk a bit about payments in the Middle East, because that's definitely a very uh, broken space. Um, so one fun fact is that 80% or so, depending on countries of transactions, are done with cash. And I'm talking about transactions online as well. So when you order, let's say, a new pair of shoes online, uh, it's shipped, it's delivered to your door, hand delivered, uh, and you pay cash on delivery. 
right? And so you have huge issues like 20 or 30% of orders that are just refused at the door because, you know what, I changed my mind. I don't want these shoes anymore. And so that, that adds a huge cost to the whole um, payment and retailing retailing space in, in, in Lebanon. And then you have other issues like PayPal, for example, is not very widely uh, accepted. It doesn't work in a lot of countries. The, the costs of... Um, um, payment processors is very high at an average of five to ten percent. Uh, you're talking about, you know, in some cases a tenth of revenues that goes to, to um, payment processors. Um, and so um, there's there's like this this um, really huge need for 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 fundamental disruption in the in the in the payment space. And a lot of people have tried to tackle that the conventional way. Uh, unfortunately, within, without much success, and so we're we you know we're passionate about Bitcoin, and you know we we've realized that um, there's this big problem in the Middle East, and so we're trying to combine these two together and try to solve these with with a lot of the um, the potential that Bitcoin brings. So why did the traditional attempts of solving this fail, and why do you think it would be different with Bitcoin? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I'm not I'm not entirely sure why the uh, the traditional approach has well not failed well or just not being not been very very effective. Um, I don't have an answer to that. Uh, I don't have an answer to that yet. I should. Yeah, it might be interesting to look into it. Uh, know what's what's been. But I guess so. Basically, your you know the business would be. Uh, like let's say for example that shoe shop uh, that you know sells shoes online and then they have pay they have transaction costs of 10% and they have 20% returns yes in, yeah, it's yeah. like my that's insane that must I mean the returns will cost a lot so I mean they must add 50% on the top the cost of the shoes just to pay for this stuff no yes yeah yeah, yeah. so so the, the the markups on on uh, e-commerce are really high Okay, uh, and so that's why. So there's this um, neat startup also that's trying to address this uh, in a very different way, where you can actually order stuff on Amazon uh, from from Jordan through a, a, a gateway, and they take care of all the um, the shipping and the processing for you, and get yeah. it to your door, and add all the costs on top of that, and that still becomes a better option than the local uh, the, 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 yeah the, the the local e-commerce options, just because of all the, the 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 overhead and the cost that's in the system. So these issues that you've been mentioning are very specific to Lebanon, then. No, I'm talking about all of the Middle East. I'm not okay. talking about Lebanon specifically. Okay. Lebanon is a pretty small market, uh, so it wouldn't really make sense to, to, to attack a single country. Um, now, I know I'm, I know I'm being very broad when I say the Middle East, and uh, I, I know very well that each market is actually quite different. But as a whole, the payment space in the Middle East is broken. So the average across the region is going to be 5 to 10% for payment processing. So the way this would work then... Um of course, you you would need customers to have bitcoins, right? I mean, yeah. so somehow, like, let's say you can convince the the shoe shop to accept bitcoin payments, which may not be very hard given their miserable experiences with other methods. But then, you know, there needs to be a market on the other side or some option, some possibility for them. Uh, what's your view there, like? 
do you feel like you're just gonna have to wait until the Bitcoin adoption is at a certain a certain stage for that to work? Yeah. So I mean, we'd love to we'd love to address all of these questions at the same time, but obviously it's not it's not realistic. Um, so uh, a couple points, I guess. The first thing is we are working on with different startups that are going to address that problem. So we're we're with with the payment solution, we're going to address the um, uh, demand side of of kicking off a Bitcoin economy or marketplace uh, by allowing it for that to be a demand for Bitcoins. Uh, but we're working with with people that are also going to focus on providing that supply either through an exchange, either through ATMs, as you've probably heard about uh, Dubai um, or uh, broker exchanges as well. Um, so both of these will come in tandem and 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 help solve that. We also have. A lot of ideas as to how we can help um, uh, consumers um, get bitcoins in order to make these purchases. You can t- talk about vouchers, which is pretty popular in the uh, in the Middle East and other and other similar approaches. So there's basically other companies as well that are working at this time in the Middle East on providing uh, this kind of complementary services of easy Bitcoin access. And so there's there's a few. Yeah, there's a few startups. Some of them are not public yet. Other are that are are addressing this liquidity issue. BitOasis.net that's not out yet. There are these ATMs in Dubai that are coming out. There yeah, are other tell people. us about those because I remember also seeing this uh, a few months ago. It's like 400 ATMs going to be in Dubai. Yeah. So pictures on Reddit. It's like these people are crazy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's it's funny, you know. I I, I back then I didn't know the details, uh, and so even though that sounded like very crazy coming from Dubai, there's always a side of me that thinks, you know what? Maybe maybe it's true because <laughs> maybe someone sold. Two 200 camels for 400 ATMs. <laughs> well, no, you, you look at Dubai and it has the tallest building in the world, the biggest mall in the world, one of the biggest indoor yeah. ski slopes. It's It has this extravagant nature to it. Uh, so 400 ATMs for Dubai is, you know, it's maybe pocket change for some of the people there. Um, but no, so there's, here. here's the... Here's the, the 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 latest update on this because I'm 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 close friends with the the guys that are running this. It was I think it was a poorly initially coordinated um, media uh, splash or whatever you want to call it. Uh, in fact, these these are not ATMs per se. They are kiosks for mobile top ups for remittances uh, onto which this company Umbrella Lab has. Um, built Bitcoin applications, if you want, that accept cash and give you Bitcoins. It's one way, uh, one way Bitcoin um, um, kiosks. Uh, and so the kiosks are already out there and they're functioning without the Bitcoin application. The Bitcoin application rollout is going to take a bit of time. I think they have only one Bitcoin functioning uh, AT, uh, kiosk functioning right now. Uh, it's because they're trying to figure out the regulatory aspect, which turned out to be more complicated um, as expected. I'm actually curious on this point. What what do you think is going to happen in terms of regulations in the Middle East? Do you think there's going to be uh, a lot of pressure by governments or moves against it? I presume so far probably nothing's happened. Or yeah, so so Lebanon central bank came with you know your average warning saying this is risky we don't understand it be careful uh jordan took a step further and said banks are not allowed to deal with it and these are the only two countries so far that have taken a a a formal stance if that if you call that a stance um 
it's it's hard to predict um, what's what's going to come out. Some people say that because the UAE and Dubai specifically has been pretty progressive in, in trying to promote uh, innovation uh, over there, that they're going to take a more open stance. Uh, but it's true that in general, the Middle East and the Middle Eastern governments uh, are generally more conservative and and tend to follow the lead of of, um, of other countries. So they, they they're not going to be um, taking the taking the lead. But we'll see. I, I guess one concern, I don't know if that's going to come up, but I, I think it's feasible or it's possible is that the US is going to apply pressure. Because I think we've, we've seen, we've seen that to some extent that they've cracked down a lot on remittance services. Because there's this, you know, paranoia in US, like, are these people funding terrorists? What's like, where's this money coming from? What about these $300 going to Somalia or coming from? Uh, and I wonder if, the, if at some point we will see the US that they're trying to suppress Bitcoin usage in Middle East for, for yeah. fears like that. So it's a great point you, you bring up. Um, remittances in the Middle East are huge. It's it's one of the uh, biggest inbound and outbound regions. I think we're talking about close to a hundred billion um, dollars annually. Uh, so it is it is a huge economy that uh, obviously can be disrupted by Bitcoin. So not only not only would will countries like the U.S. have have objections, but I think a lot of uh, local governments may may be may be concerned about that, or or local mega remittance companies may be concerned about that. Um, uh, but but it is, you know, like what we're seeing right now is that Bitcoin is way too under the radar for for anyone to be concerned about it yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you, like culturally speaking, I mean, how how does uh, how, how has it been perceived there? You know. Uh, by, by people in, in Lebanon and Jordan and like in the Middle East generally. And how does like, how does Bitcoin fall in, like, how, how is it perceived in, uh, in relation to like the principles of Islamic banking, for instance, like, have you ever thought about this and how, how it may be perceived um, uh, going forward uh, in, in relationship to Islamic banking? So I'm not too familiar with with Islamic banking, to be no, honest. Neither am I. So that's what I'm asking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I'm I'm not, but I I, I don't think uh, it would be especially especially problematic in in that set more so than in the conventional conventional banking system. Um, I, I, f I mean, I could imagine it is even less problematic because if you think of a Bitcoin economy in the future. It seems clear to me that it cannot be debt based in the same way. Like you can't have uh, big interest rates and all those things. It just doesn't work if, it, if you have a deflationary currency. So I, I could even imagine that people would be more positive towards it. You might actually have to go more towards, uh, you know, that instead of a bank giving a loan to a company that they take equity because it just makes more sense with currency. I, I don't know. Yeah, but. yeah. So it's 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 a good point. And I know I know a couple of people in the Bitcoin community in the region that, that are pretty vocal in that sense that think it, that it's actually a, a a a currency, a payment network that is much more suitable for Islamic banking than than not. But to be honest, I'm not I'm not 
well versed enough to, to to have a strong opinion on it. And what about the the media? I mean, like here in Europe, we've and also maybe in the U.S., like we've seen this kind of shift towards uh, where the media is taking a, a more um, nuanced stance on Bitcoin, where before it was very uh, very much like you know, be careful about this new technology; it's dangerous, money laundering, and such. And now we're seeing this more nuanced stance where okay, there's innovation, there's startups and such. Like, has that shift started happening already in the Middle East, or are we still kind of on the old, the old uh, types of uh, rhetorics? <laughs> No, 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 I think we, there hasn't been a ton of the, the old, uh, the old rhetoric in, in the media. Now, to be fair, Bitcoin is not as present in the media in the Middle East as it is in, in the US or, or in some countries in, in, in Europe. Uh, but, um, we, we as, as a community have been, working proactively with the media to try to get the right messages out there. Um, so we've been contacting different media sources. Right now, we've had obviously much more response and interest from, from the, the, the tech related, um, news sources, but they've been, they've been very open to, to covering this in a, in a much more objective way and, and trying to, to, to highlight also the growing community. That's really cool. And what about, I mean, like, so the things that you're doing, um, and the, the Lemon on Bitcoin group. Um, is that part of like, you know, your mission going forward is to be kind of the relay, for, you know, the, 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 the voice of Bitcoin uh, for, for the media? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm excited about that, that role personally. And, and, and as a company, that is also one of the, one of the missions that we have. Um, I think, Ed- education and, and advocacy is going to be very important. The, the Middle East has generally had, a, has generally been a, a laggard when it comes to technology. It's only, it's only recently that e-commerce, um, has started booming. Um, and, and so there's, to me, I saw this opportunity to really try to get the Middle East into the, the Bitcoin economy as soon as possible to avoid being a laggard because I thought this was really an opportunity for us to, to, to move things forward um, faster. And so, so advocacy is, is one of our primary goals. And so I've talked about different meetups that we're doing in, in, in the various countries, um, where the, where I've talked about the, the media that we're approaching. I've talked about the, the, the online resource shoebitcoin.com that we're releasing. And we have other plans in, in mind to, to shake things up a bit. Um, larger conferences, uh, we're hoping to invite people from, you know, international communities, uh, big names to, to, to the region as well. Uh, so there's, there's, there's a lot, a lot of work to do. And we're, we're, we, you know, we're fortunate enough that we can look at, um, countries like Berlin, uh, country, cities like <laughs> Berlin, countries like Germany, countries like the, the US and Canada that have done things really well so far and, and get inspired by their work and try to, to, to create Middle East, uh, Middle East specific, um, versions of that advocacy work. I mean, I, I think it's just extremely exciting to see like what you're working on. And it's, it's extremely exciting that it's, it's so, in a sense, it's so much ahead, you no, know? like this. There's so much that has to happen for this to work. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes I feel like we're, we're maybe a bit too early. I mean, there's a lot of this happening there, right? There's a lot of big, Bitcoin businesses that are startups that are building things that 
like even if they work perfectly well now it doesn't work because there are not the, the market's not there there's not the uses are there right yeah and i think it's like super like courageous and cool and visionary and of course also risky to like build those things now and then you know of course when the community is there or when those things arise and the you know the marketplace liquidity will be there then it will be super useful and then extremely well positioned but yeah it's, it's i think it's cool this is happening and it's cool it's happening you know, in so many different places, like, you know, Middle East and South America and different European countries. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely super cool. And I'm, I, you know, I'm really excited to wake up every day. But, you know, every now and then I think it's important for, for me and for all of us to, to pinch ourselves and realize even across the whole world, we're only just a few million, uh, that, 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 uh, and, and if that much really that, that are in this, this yeah. whole, this whole community, this system, um, so there's 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 a lot of work to do um and and you know we're excited but there's 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 a long road ahead of us maybe let me ask one more thing when we kind of uh think about the middle east etc is do you think when it comes to adoption going forward do you think that's gonna happen because there's such a pain point in payments. So people will say like, Oh, I want to buy something online. Uh, there's a 30% discount from that site. If I pay with Bitcoin, or maybe I want to get some Bitcoins, or do you think there's also going to be, because in, in the West, we've seen a lot, a lot of people buy Bitcoins to invest, right? To speculate yep. really. Yep. Do you think that it could also be a driver for Bitcoin adoption there? Or has, has there been any of that? So I think there's, to me, there's two, uh, there's two very interesting use cases. So you may or may not know, but there's a lot of money in the, in the, in the Middle East. There, there are people that are, uh, very, very wealthy. And so there's that route where you have individual investors are going to be interested in putting money into, into Bitcoin. Um, and then the, the more interesting route, and this is really why we're, we're tackling the, the payment space is that there, everyone is hurting about this broken payment space. You have the e-commerce uh, websites that can't, uh, that are frustrated about these huge costs that they're paying. You've got the, 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 the shipping and the logistics companies that have to handle the whole, um, complexity of a cash on delivery, uh, network, you know, because logistic companies need to end up holding the money for their, uh, e-commerce, um, websites. Okay. So I think what's interesting, what, what you're touching on here with these like logistic costs and the, the returns, etc is that there's such an incentive for people to use Bitcoin and for co uh, companies to accept Bitcoin. Because right now, if you talk about you know, the US or Europe, even if it maybe is a bit cheaper, you know, and then you have instead of 2.5% uh, transaction fees, you have you know, a 1% uh, or something. And on the, on the consumer side, usually that's like, uh, it doesn't make a difference because they don't pass the cost savings on or they give some sort of a, a you know bonus point or something but but those costs they don't they're not enough of an incentive for example to go out and buy bitcoins right and then often the costs you would pay in terms of uh, atm fee or uh, exchange fee etc or bank transfers and uh, they're going to be higher than uh, even if you save something by paying with bitcoin but that's not going to be the case here 
like here you really could it could be like you know you buy bitcoin to save money on buying things online which is really powerful. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, there's, there's one one part of the equation. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. I think there's one part of the equation that I forgot to to, to mention so far is that um, even the, the the option to use credit cards is 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 quite difficult in the Middle East. A lot of a lot of financial institutions, for example, are going to issue credit cards that by default don't work on the internet, which is surprising. What? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Which is which is surprising in in our in our technologically advanced world but you get a credit card that is not activated to work for uh, online commerce uh, you have to explicitly ask or get a, a, another card uh, that works on the internet because there's this there's been this bit of a, 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 a the perpetuation of the idea that the online is not safe um, so anyways as you can see it's 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 surprisingly surprisingly broken in a, in a in a shocking way. Um, so so back back to what you were saying. Um y- yes, I I I agree that the the even for a consumer there's going to be a, a a great use case because we're we're going to be working with merchants to actually help them figure out the best way to get to consumers on board as well. Uh if you're saving 10, 5 to 10% on, 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 um, on, on margins, that's something you can give a portion back to customers and actually incite them to, to get on board of that system. Uh, and there are other ways as well where you completely abstract away Bitcoin as a, as a form of payment and we just end up using Bitcoin, the protocol for transfer of value to facilitate uh, you know, consumer merchant uh, uh, transactions. Yeah, I know. I think it's exciting. Yeah. And I guess it, it will be really interesting to see where you have these forest breakthroughs, you know, I mean, I guess people talk a lot about remittances and maybe that's going to happen. I mean, it is going to happen, I think, but the yes. question is when, yes. yes and the yes, question yes. is, is it first going to be that? Or is it first going to be mainstream usage in the U S because people make it so convenient through, you know, tying Bitcoin debit cards to bank accounts, et cetera, that, you know, even if they, maybe they gain is not so huge it's so convenient that you still do it a lot of people do it or is it going to be something like the middle east where you know this is broken payment system to fix uh, so i i'm you know i have no clue what's going to be in what order that's going to happen what's going to be first where it's going to create this first real bitcoin you know real bitcoin usage you know where you have 30 percent of people use bitcoin or something like that yeah you talked about uh, the payment uh situation can you talk about a bit about banking like how how what's what's the percentage of people that actually have access to banking or use it is it is it quite high or are we still in a kind of archaic situation no so i'm i'm really happy that you brought brought that up i i can't believe i, I forget i forgot to mention that that's that's also a huge thing in the middle east uh this is an, another fun fact that you're you're going to want to know uh the average uh, uh, financial inclusion, banking penetration, whatever you want to call it, uh, in, in the Middle East, it hovers around 80, uh, 20%. So 80% of the adult population do not have access to, to, to banking services. And that's huge. That's huge, right? So you're talking about such a big part of the, the, um, the, 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 the population that that's forced to live in a cash-based society, um, and so that that again is sort of like a no-brainer opportunity for Bitcoin to come and shake things up a bit, right? Uh, what about smartphone penetration? Uh, is that much higher than twenty percent? 
So, so the flip side is mobile phone penetration is one of the highest in the world in the Middle East. Uh, uh, you have in some countries upwards of a hundred percent multiple phones per uh, per individuals. Um, so, so you put these two together, and it's kind of a, a very simple equation of high mobile penetration, low banking penetration. Yeah, uh, Bitcoin as a mobile based financial system comes to the rescue and i guess that's a lot of smartphones or uh, that will be a lot of a lot of those phones will be smartphones at least maybe two years down the line or or maybe even now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean smartphones are becoming significantly cheaper uh i I don't have the breakdown of of smartphone versus feature phone but that's that's a neat number i'll try it i'll try to get that um but there's even even for feature phones there there are already people developing solutions for yeah, bitcoin bitcoin no, was on feature 37 phones. i mean we've had him on the podcast like you uh johan from 37 coins a few months ago yeah so uh, so yeah no that won't be a hurdle it won't necessarily prevent uh, bitcoin usage yeah 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 so i mean we we talk about all these things and it's there's you realize there's this so many use cases for bitcoin and uh, to, to 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 take off and so that's why on the one hand it's super exciting and and and, I, and you know i can't wait to to see this grow but even even being at the you know quote unquote forefront of bitcoin in the middle east which is not saying much uh i i have no clue uh, how this is going to pan out, right? I mean, yeah. to be to be realistic, it may take a while. It may take a couple of years before Bitcoin takes off seriously in the Middle East, or it may take off overnight with one of the use cases that we just talked about that just clicks if someone builds the right solution. Now, how are people buying Bitcoin in the Middle East? So, are there exchanges that are established there? Is it mostly just local trading, or it's mostly local trading? There are no exchanges. There are uh, a few companies that are are going to release exchanges, broker exchanges soon, but it's mostly local trading, and it's not a ton of it. I, I don't have I don't have figures on it, but if we go through to 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 local bitcoins, you know, you can see how many people are in a region. And I think last time I checked in Lebanon, it was like five to ten. Same thing in Jordan. So it's it's pretty hard then to uh, to get your hands on some Bitcoin if you're in the Middle East. It is. It is. Now the 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 interesting thing is that um, like myself, there's a lot of people in the Middle East that have lived abroad and come back or have studied abroad and come back. And so uh, a lot of people do have accounts outside, which is which makes it much easier for them to, to get Bitcoins. Cool. Well, I think it's going to be uh, extremely exciting to see where Yellow goes. And if people want to check out, I, I think Yellow is not, there's no beta yet, right? Yeah, so we're we're already we're talking to customers right now, uh, and we're gonna release the uh, uh, we're gonna work on a on a beta solution with these customers within a a month or two to hopefully, and then when when that when that proves to be successful, we're, we'll release publicly. And we're gonna have a, a, a our website is gonna go live soon on their yellowpay.co.co. So yellowpay.co and then the shoe shoe bitcoin that's s h u bitcoin.com. Uh, and right now there are landing pages in, um, in, in, in the three languages, but we're in the background, we're building the whole, the full resource to release also in, in a couple of weeks. Okay, cool. So can people sign up there already? Yes. At, yeah. At okay. The bottom so you can sign up. to be kind of up to date. Cool. Well, I think uh, we'll definitely be following up with you and uh, stay in touch and then we can see where this is, uh, you know where we are in six months time and yeah no i'm excited to be to, to, to give you an update then cool
Well, let's cover some of the news topics because there's also been... Um, so I actually haven't had a lot of time to follow up the news because of the Quantified Self Conference here. But one thing did happen that's, you know, pretty big, I think, or at least it looks like it, which is that BitPay raised a new funding round of $30 million, which is the biggest so far of a Bitcoin startup. It's huge. It's pretty huge. There's a, 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 you can buy a lot of ergonomic chairs with that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you just think about, I mean, when we were in Berlin and, and we were talking to people there and investors there, and at that time, uh, there was about a hundred million dollars in, in, uh, in, uh, investment funding going towards Bitcoin startups. Uh, this is a third of, of that amount, uh, or, or about a, about a third. So it just goes to show that, you know, investment in Bitcoin is really, boosting in 2014 true it's a good point because uh, there was just a, the coindesk report uh yeah. and i remember the total number of vc funding in bitcoin that, so that was a few weeks ago uh or, or a month ago or something and the total amount of bitcoin funding at that time had been 150 million so this you know increases it by 20 percent no? yeah so it quite yeah no it's uh it's a big deal hopefully we have much more of this uh very soon. And Richard Branson is investing, so. <laughs> <laughs> How much is a trip to the moon in Bitcoin? Or no, not the moon. <laughs> to the Two, stratosphere? 200K. Yeah, but that's not in Bitcoins. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that, that doesn't even... Yeah, they get to a couple of trips up there. I mean, it's also, it's also interesting because we've seen... A lot of competitors in this space, you no, know, like the, the payment processing space is definitely very competitive. I'm also, it's also interesting to me to see how low the fees are. Cause if you look at BitPay, they've processed something like a hundred million dollars. But if you look at their fee structure, like they cannot have made very much money there. I don't think it was ever higher than 1% at their fee. And then it's significantly lower if you're a big merchant plus i could imagine they even do like no processing fees for like you know like i don't know what overstock is paying coinbase but you know i'm sure it's quite little because you know there must have been so much competition for landing this uh this client so it seems it seems like the only way this is going to work is if Bitcoin's going to be huge. There's going to be like gigantic amounts of transactions. No, I think there's also another aspect to it is that they're you know they'll be developing new new services and perhaps even hardware, um, and and that'll also become part of their business. I mean, we're we were talking about Zappo a few weeks ago and how uh, we're kind of questioning their business model. Well, what's their what? How how do they bring more people in? Is they add on layers of service? And uh, I think for the most part now, Bitcoin payment processors are um, kind of um, securing the base structure of their business, the the the, the which is the payment um, aspect. But then after, they'll be bringing in a bunch of other services that will be tiered tiered service that you have to pay for or what have you. Or I don't know. I mean, with BitPay, they've been very focused. I mean, Coinbase obviously they make their money through exchange. You no, know, that's like I think it's a great business. And I don't think that's going to go away necessarily. And, and, you know, I mean, even if the fees go down there, that's still something you can make very substantial amounts of money with. And I think they are. Uh, but BitPay is different. Right? They've really focused on the payment processing. Uh, of course, are you maybe true? Maybe they're going to pay SL terminals for merchants. I don't know what else. 
Well, I, I don't think they're at a stage where they they care much about uh, making money. They're they're growing True. really fast. Yeah. They've raised yeah. a lot of money. The the their focus right now is just on gaining market share. Um, so, you know, being profitable is, is is not an issue. And there's 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 so much room to to to, to innovate on on new products and services, as Seb- Sebastian was saying. Um, yeah, no, no, that's certainly no. I think that's totally true. Yeah. And I guess that's also why, you know, they raised $30 million so they don't have to worry about this stuff for a while. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. So, so Sebastian, you wanted to talk about something called Moolah. No, it sounds like a really uh, bizarre name. I thought it must be something Middle Eastern too, but... (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it isn't. (laughs) Not that I heard of. No, this was just an interesting story. Uh... Well, mostly, you know, to follow up on everything that's been going on with Mt. Gox, not that we want to bring that cat out of the bag again. So, but Mula is, uh, it's an online wallet. Uh, they're a very small company. Um, so basically what they offer is they provide you the opportunity to create a wallet online on their website and you can create multiple wallets. But the cool thing about it is that they support, um, uh, quite a few Litecoins. So basically you can go there, you can create an account. Um, the accounts are free. You create wallets, which have, uh, you know, which creates you an address and you can basically just kind of store your coins there. Not that this is really a best practice, I'd say, but you know, if you want to do that, uh, if you want to be able to store like Dogecoin and Litecoin and maybe Aurora coin in one place, um, you can do that with, uh, Moolah. Uh, so then there was this Reddit post from about 10 days ago where people were uh, kind of just not really worried, but they're just raising concerns about Moolah where uh, there were a few things that were kind of iffy about it. This, the, the CEO of Moolah, his name is Alex Green. Um, he wasn't, didn't seem to be very present online. Uh, nobody had ever seen him. Nobody in the community really knows who he is. The company was registered, well, is registered at this business, which is apparently some sort of, uh, well, like they say here, cheap and dirty business and corporations service that scammers seem to love. Um, and so they were just kind of raising the concern about this company and requesting that uh, the company releases their their information in uh, just kind of helping to alleviate these concerns. So. What Moolah did is they um, they did a sort of an internal audit and they published um, the, uh, the the ownership of uh, seventy two thousand dollars worth of Dogecoin on the blockchain, uh, confirming that they do in fact uh, own uh, and have access to those funds. So this helped to alleviate some of those concerns, I think. And this goes to kind of um, speak to what we were talking about earlier a few weeks ago about Mt. Gox is where the industry is going to come forward and um, self-regulate and self-audit. And I think this is really an interesting and uh, a good initiative from a company to come forward with that information, um, you know, if it's requested or even, you know, on their own, uh, on their own. Uh, so how did they actually uh, do this? Did they like sh- tell people like, uh, 
these are the public keys that your funds are held in or did they publish the, all the public keys of their addresses or how, how does that work i'm not sure actually um so they they have a blog poster on their website um where they explain how they did this and i think but so the main is the, the main point here i guess is about you know the communication is that uh, forthcoming yeah. like yeah although i guess in the mount gox cases it wouldn't help help very much because if they didn't have the the bitcoins in the first place then you know being transparent is not necessarily uh <laughs> going to alleviate any uh that's true any pain or worries or anger that's true no but i, I just think that this is uh, uh an, an interesting example of, of a company that um well where very little was known about the company and uh the community just kind of need to be reassured and they came forward and came through with the request of the community which is to prove that they do have access to those funds now mind you this was an internal audit it wasn't uh performed by a third party but i think they were saying that they wanted to bring in a third party uh to uh further secure their um their their trust with uh, the community cool um well i don't know maybe very very briefly we can talk about one last thing which is i i've tried to talk about this with some other people and like get some discussion going and i, I, I hasn't completely succeeded so let me try it once again uh there was an interesting article by two bit idiot so uh, ryan and so he was writing about this dark wallet thing that dark wallet of course was the you know wallet released very recently that you know puts uh, privacy first so through coin join and uh, self addresses kind of try to make a blockchain analysis impossible to trace payments and he was arguing that this could be terrible for bitcoin because let's say bitcoin really does become uh, super used by uh, the black market etc you know then you have this kind of built by association so now, if you try to get positive regulations, well, now you, you know, if you talk about the bank lobbyists or anyone who's against it, you know, now there's, it's a different case, right? You can point there and it, it is the thing enabling, um, all kinds of illegal activities. Obviously that's not happened yet. We don't know if it will happen. Uh, but it's an interesting scenario and it's interesting to think about, I think, how will that affect uh, regulators' responses uh, to towards cryptocurrencies in general, and would this could this actually create serious problems in that regulators will say uh, this is enabling those things? There's no way to stop it, so we you know we're going to make it much more difficult for regular Bitcoin startups to have banking relationships, all those things. So I'm curious, what are you using this? So. Personally, I, I don't think this is any different than the whole Silk Road fiasco. Um, you know, Bitcoin as a new technology, people are afraid. You know what? It allows frictionless payment internationally without associated ent identities. We're going to have all of this black market activities. The Silk Road rose, uh, and then people are saying, "Oh, it's only Bitcoin is successful only because of the Silk Road." And they were, you know, guilty by association and all that stuff. 
And then the Silk Road got shut down and Bitcoin came out of it uh, almost uh, on, uh, uh, untouched. And, and I think it's going to be the same, the same story where, you know what, it's, there's a good chance it is going to be used for, for illegal activities. But uh, there's this, it's, it's, it's a, I see it as, as a bit futile to try to, to stop uh, 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 or prevent that from happening. I mean, if, if they don't release yeah. the dark wallet today, someone else is going to, re- the, 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 the technology has been invented and a, you know, the same way Bitcoin cannot be invented, the technology behind dark wallet cannot be in, uninvented. And so someone else will create a similar dark wallet. So it's, no, I, I totally agree with that. I don't think there's any, uh, way of stopping this. And I don't know if it would be desirable. I actually think it would be, I think, I personally have a pretty positive view of dark wallet. I think it's, it's really important that we do prevent a blockchain and anal- like really intrusive blockchain analysis. I think uh, privacy is important. And I think it's, it would also actually be a way of attacking Bitcoin. You know, if a regulator says we really don't like Bitcoin. Now, if you can trace all the, you know, you can see who is, who is using Bitcoins in large amounts. Of course, that makes it very, uh, it weakens Bitcoin a lot. Too. It weakens the utility of it. You know, let's say we think of a, a country of dictatorship and then people start using Bitcoin. Well, if you can trace the Bitcoins to, you know, to Dissidents, people, yeah. then, uh, well, that makes it a lot less useful. Yeah. So, so, so I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I think this is a great, uh, a great tool and it should exist. And, you know, to, to bring this to a very, uh, a very practical, practical and, and, and tangible example. Let's think back to the um, the, the the target uh, issue where uh, people got really concerned when they figured out that Target can was able to predict when when one of its customer got pregnant before the rest of her family got pregnant, right? And so that's the type of privacy we're giving away when we're using credit cards because identity is associated to payment. And so I think the 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 idea that we're going to be able to separate our identity from my payments is 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 great and is really needed. And so, if Bitcoin can bring it, and Bitcoin can, I think it's a good solution fundamentally. Yeah, absolutely. I th- I think a lot of this is going to depend on uh, basically the speed of of Bitcoin growth and, and what's it rel- in relative domains. So I think if we're going to see a very slow growth in a lot of sort of legal mainstream uses, but for some reason, a really fast growth in, uh, you know, use like a dark market or those things like a decentralized silk road, then we could have a problem, I think. And, and a problem in the sense that regulators would be really, uh, hostile against Bitcoin and I don't think it would kill Bitcoin, but it just could slow down thing a lot. Uh, but then of course, if we have a lot of other use cases like remittances, like payments, etc., that grow much faster. And then there's also that like all the Silk Road, I don't think it would be so much of a problem, right? Because then it's at the point where there's no going back. So I, I think there's a, a certain case where it, it could really play out that way. But in a sense, of course, you're totally right. There's a, it's a rather academic discussion that doesn't have any, yeah. <laughs> there's no like action steps to take from yeah. here. Yeah. No, let's, let's just uh, speculate. Like, let's say that the dark wallet functionality had been built into Bitcoin from the beginning. 
uh, I think it's interesting to kind of think about what would have what would would have Bitcoin taken off uh, as much as it did um, with that functionality not having built been built in, or would have we had more uh, more um, uh, pressure from regulators to try to stop it? Because um, because I I personally think that this. Uh, should have been built into the protocol from the beginning. You yeah. Know, so that it's completely private. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think for one, uh, the, the amount uh, the, sorry, the Silk Road fiasco would have played out completely differently, right? We might be in a world where, where Silk Road would have never uh, actually be taken down if you had uh, uh, privacy. But that, uh, that wasn't the reason, right? So that was now they called him, which well, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of the the, the linking of the information. Was, well, I'm not sure. I'll take that back. But there there must have been some of the linking of the information because of the 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 lack of identity separation from from payment. But no, yes. I don't think so. I, I don't think so at all. Actually, I, I mean, I followed that pretty exactly that back then. The the case, like how they called him, was uh, ridiculous. Really, I mean, because he like posted about like basically promoted Silk Road. Like with his real email right, address, right, like right, before right. the site was even launched. Fine, okay, that, that and then somehow it took two years to figure that out, <laughs> <laughs> which is like also a, a mystery to me. <laughs> uh, okay, that meant no one could have saved him. Uh, but from, I, from I mean, I've I've always wondered about that. Like, have there, you know, have there been people arrested because of you know people tracing the blockchain linking it to Silk Road? I don't think it's happened. Like, I have never seen any case yeah. of that being mentioned. Uh, but I think I don't know the question you're raising is good. I, I could I could definitely imagine that it would have been it maybe would have made the conversation a bit more hostile in terms of regulators. But at the same time, you know, in, in the end, this is necessary. It's necessary that you're able to transact Bitcoin anonymously. That you don't have to worry about. Is someone going to figure out my salary if I now pay this, pay this burger from this address? Cause, you know, like it's going to come pull these inputs together. You know, people, sh- there's no way people will be able to deal with that. So it, it needs to prevent that kind of thing. Well, I, I, you know what? I don't necessarily agree that it's that obvious, right? It's going it, it, it requires a whole paradigm shift for, for, for everyone. Right now, we're perfectly comfortable sharing our, our identity every time we use our credit cards. And it's becoming more and more. But with, who you, with whom? With the merchant and some company. But then if you have the blockchain public, right. and like anyone can go there. Right. I mean that's that's like a whole other level. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. In that sense, in that sense, you're right. In that sense, this could, you know, as as there's a lot of companies right now that are specializing in in uh, uh, analytics on on top of the blockchain. And so when these mature a bit more, I could definitely see this becoming a huge problem. You, you can do some pretty neat network analysis and clusters. I'm curious how they're gonna. Yeah, we should ask uh, Jonathan at some point. Like how you know how are they gonna like of course. Metrics, so like, how how would, they, how would they be affected by something like uh, coin join being used widely? Yeah. Or, I, I don't know, but I could imagine that will mess up their mess up some uh, some metrics they run on it. Yeah, it's true. There's a bit of a conflict of interest there. Yeah, it's also pretty crazy how these. I mean, I think it's also 
interesting to point out that the you know the the lead organizers of Dark Wallet um, and uh, notably uh, Cody Wilson, who's the guy who who did the 3D printed gun. Um, <laughs> he he goes out and says like I want private means for black market transactions. Like that's what he says in his in his wire article. Yeah, so he called it money go- laundering software, like Dark Wallet. Yeah, yeah, which like, is so I don't it's, think it's the best PR move. And it, it, yeah, it's, it's not the best PR move. Not a marketer, wanted, that's for sure. <laughs> If if you know if 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 you wanted to promote this in a way that's at least sensible and that people are and mostly you know, mo- mostly like governments and regulators are going to accept, you should be saying it's like for f- f- uh, protection of freedom of speech, for instance, or something but like that. But that's not his goal, right? So like, I right, mean, yeah. he, that's the, our goal. That's not his goal. Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, he's like a smart guy. Like, it's not an accident you call it like that. I mean, I think the whole goal of this as well is to drive. Uh, you know, to, to make it impossible for people like the Bitcoin Foundation, et cetera, to lobby. And so if you can drive the separation in, in that, you know, Bitcoin really is more underground, I think that's actually what they want. Yeah. Well, so I, I feel, you know, I, I haven't looked into a ton of details here, but I feel like there's a, there's a bit of a political agenda behind, behind this. Yeah. And there I, definitely is. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I just wanted to be, uh, so to, to me, you know, I'm not, I'm, I would rather disassociate myself from all the political agendas and Bitcoin as a, as a technology that has a lot of its uh, advantages. One of them being uh, privacy, right, and 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 um, financial privacy. And so that to me is a great innovation w- without any political uh, baggage behind it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So. Um I think we're kind of covered the topics we had to cover today. I mean, it was uh, really interesting to dive into this other world of the Middle East, which is I, the first person, I guess, we've met. No, I met a person from Dubai who's wanted to put up an ATM there. Yeah, so one of the guys behind the ATM? No, it was a girl. A girl. Oh, oh. So you you met the Polish developer that That's wanted to right. yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we met her in uh, in uh, Berlin. Yeah, yeah. So I I barely missed her because I was in Dubai as well, and I think she she arrived as I was leaving. I I never met her. I don't know. I don't know if she's still going to to to, to do that. Yeah. Uh, because of that, the you know the four hundred ATM thing. But what was her name again? <laughs> I think it was I. AI. I. Yeah. yeah or AI or something like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a real person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was her name. It's AI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But okay, well, thanks so much for uh, you know for joining us. Yeah, no, I really, I really enjoyed this, and you know, I, I hope that uh, soon enough the Middle East is going to be a a, uh, a recognized place for for Bitcoin, and we're working towards that. I mean, I think a, a, a you know large scale conference in the Middle East. That would yeah. be a fantastic thing. I and think. we're, we're working on that. So on, on, on that note, I mean, in, in, in general, if, if anyone has thoughts on, uh, uh, just Bitcoin in the Middle East, uh, what you'd like to see, hey, if you'd like to help or whatever, uh, please shoot me a note at david at yellowpay.co. Cool. Cool. And where can people find are you on Twitter or Twitter where is else da- can people find you? At Dave Ashkar. So that's D A V E A C H K A R. Awesome. And so you're, you're, so yellow is at yellowpay.co. Yellowpay.co is the website. Cool. Cool. Awesome. And, and also your meetup is on the meetup.com, right? 
Yeah, so if you Google meetup.com, Bitcoin Lebanon, Jordan Bitcoin Group, or uh, I think uh, Cryptocurrencies Dubai, you should you should get uh, our meetups. Yeah, so for, for all our listeners out there in Beirut, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know now how to find the uh, you know, next don't, local uh, Bitcoin don't, don't be laughing. We'll get you uh, another thousand <laughs> listeners from Beirut in one week. <laughs> <laughs> okay well thanks so much for listening in uh, we'll be back uh, in a week and we'll also be producing some content at the Bitcoin uh, Foundation, uh, the, big, the conference in Amsterdam so I think there'll be quite a lot as uh, Sean Jones who was on the podcast a few weeks ago uh, she's going to be producing content and we'll be producing some uh, episodes with her interviews and I'm going to do some interviews. So I think there's going to be a lot. And maybe Sebastian is going to come over too if he can. Uh, I am definitely going to try to come. <laughs> okay, cool. So yeah. yeah, it would be great. And I think we'll have lots of additional content kind of, uh, you know, in two, starting two weeks from now, I think. And uh, so thanks so much for listening. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Epicenter BTC. Yeah. And you can subscribe to our newsletter goes out every Friday at epicenterbitcoin.com slash newsletter and if you want to tip us uh, you can go to epicenterbitcoin.com slash tips we've got a bitcoin address a dogecoin address and a litecoin address so send us your tips thanks so much and uh, we'll see you next week thanks again thank you